I don't know how many of you uh, like A&W burgers. Yeah, it's one of my favorite burgers. But there is another kind of A&W which we indulge in. It's bad for our diet, and that's anxiety and worry. A&W. All right. We got that. But, you know, it's something that we have for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Something we want to get out of. But we indulge ourselves in this A&W burger. The disciples of Jesus Christ were anxious. They were troubled. And they had a good reason. Because they were following this, this rabbi from Nazareth for the past three years. They have come to believe that he was the Messiah. Some of them had left their boats and the nets. One of them had actually left a high-ranking position in the Roman CRA. All of them had left their families. And right now, they were gathered in what's called the upper room. It was for the Jewish Passover feast. A Passover feast is supposed to be a celebration of God's judgment having moved over them, moved past them. That's the Passover. It was supposed to be the beginning of the new year for them. And yet it seemed to them as if it's the end of the world. Some of them thought that this is the time where Jesus is going to announce his kingdom. And they were arguing among themselves who is going to be the greatest. They were wondering who gets to uh, uh, share the valedictorian speech, I guess, like who gets the highest portfolio. But Jesus now tells them that he's going away. He's going to die. No wonder they were troubled and they were anxious. And at a time like that, Jesus speaks to these disciples. And he tells them from the passage that we want to look at from John chapter 14. And so I want to encourage you to turn to John chapter 14. We want to see the lessons that God, the Lord Jesus Christ, had for his disciples. And we want to see what are some of the lessons that we can garner from that. John chapter 14. I'm going to read to you first. <clears throat> verses 1 to 7, and having read that, we'll come back a little later to read the rest of the chapter. So John chapter 14, verses 1 to 7. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. It is my Father's house. In my Father's house are many mansions or many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Father God, as we look to your word, would you encourage us? Would you strengthen us? Would you show us from your word about our Lord Jesus Christ? 
we want to know about no one else and nothing else. So speak, O oh God, into our lives. May your word come alive for us, for it is living. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And we pray that we are able to see the glory of Christ through the preaching of your word. In Jesus Christ, our Lord's name, we pray. So James Barry, who is the author of uh, Peter Pan, he writes about his mother, uh, Margaret Ogilvy. She had gone through a lot of trying times and about a time in Scotland, and she had even lost her son. And in the midst of that, uh, Margaret showed chapter 14 of John to be her best uh, passage. Like she would always be reading that so much so that if you would let the Bible open, it would open to John 14. And he writes to say that uh, when she had gotten much older and she couldn't read, she would just kiss the, this particular page because John 14 was so precious to her. And I pray to God that what became precious to her, the lessons that were true to her and for, her dis and for the disciples of Jesus Christ would be so for us this morning as we look at God's word. You see, this, this chapter can be studied in different ways. But what I want to lead you to is to look at the three questions that the apostles asked. Thomas, Philip, and Judas, not Iscariot. The three questions that these apostles ask and the lesson that we can draw for ourselves of the beauty of the comfort that's found in Jesus Christ. So the big idea is this. This is the big idea. That Jesus is the answer for all your trouble, all your situation, all your circumstance. There's no one else and nothing else. And Jesus proves that again very emphatically from this chapter. And so we want to see the glory of Christ as we look at this chapter. So if you will come with me back to verse 1 of John chapter 14. It says, do not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You see, I, I like that. There are two parts to it. One, he says, do not be troubled. But in the previous chapter, chapter 13, verse 21, we read that Jesus was troubled himself, and it's the same word being used, telling his disciples not to be troubled. That is just beautiful, because you know what it says? For one, the trouble that Jesus had is a divine trouble. It was a trouble because he is going to be what he hated most. 1 Corinthians 5.21 says that he who knew no sin would become sin for us so that his righteousness we, we, we would have. And the trouble that the disciples were having was because of hopelessness. They, they didn't know what the future entailed. And so that was the kind of trouble that Jesus was going through. But also... It tells me that because he was troubled, I don't need to be troubled. It also tells me that I now have a high priest who understands the, the, the trouble that I go through, the suffering that I go through. For it says in Hebrews, we have not a high priest who cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities. Because he went through, he understands what it means of all the things that you're facing through. He can say to us, do not be troubled. But not just that, it goes on to say, believe in God, believe also in me. What Jesus was doing is that believing in God is just like believing in me. He was showing himself as God. 
as the only one who can say to us, do not be troubled, as one who offers us um, a life that does not need to be troubled even in the midst of a circumstance. What Jesus does is that in verse 27, at the end of the chapter, once we get to it, we'll see, but in the end of the chapter, again, he says there, do not be troubled. Verse 27, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, in the Hebrew and the uh, Greek writing literature, it is like this. These are called the bookends. You begin with one, you say that, and you repeat that again at the end. What it means is that whatever is in between is applicable to that truth that Jesus is trying to tell us. Uh, or the writer is trying to tell us. So we want to look, therefore, to see what are, what's the basis on which Jesus could tell, let not your heart be troubled. And so verse 2, it says, in my Father's house. Notice that. It says, in my Father's house. Jesus says, it's not your Father's house. It is not our Father's house. In my Father's house, Jesus is saying. I mean, he is emphatically saying two things. One, to say that God in heaven is not the father of all, true in creation, but not in the sense that Jesus is saying. God is not your father if you, if, you know, uh, just by your, by your birth uh, in salvation. And not just that, he is saying the father's house is not your natural destination. That is not where you're heading. Everybody says, I want to go to heaven, but that's not where you're going. You need someone to get you to heaven in my father's house. And that's the predicament of every person in this world, every man, every woman. They, they want to get to heaven. They want to be able to say that I'm going to go to heaven. I don't know if you've noticed, and some, sometimes some people say, you know, ask directions or uh, ask, hey, where did he go? And says, hey, I went, you know, I went, and they tend to point up, and I don't know if there's this natural inclination in us that we all want to go to, you know, up, and if heaven is up, that is, but, but you see, we have this desire, but Jesus is saying, that's not your natural destination, it's my father's house. And so, in the light of that, Thomas asked this question in verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? It's a two-part question. One, it says, we don't know where you're going. Uh, we don't know where. where. Where is this father's house? We don't know that. And secondly, how do we get there? And Jesus presents himself as the only answer. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me in verse 6. Your sincerity your piety, your best effort, your, you know, trying to give away all your money, none of that works. Your effort will not get you to the Father's house. Uh, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to get to God, if you want to go to God, if you want to way to God, you have to go through Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the way. And the rest of the passage, he elaborates this thing about Jesus being the truth because he presents himself as the truth of God and then as the life that in him and through him is life that we have, but we will see there. But go to the rest of verse 2. It says, I go to prepare a place for you. you know, some of us have struggled. What does that mean? Go to prepare a place. 
You know, it does not mean that there's cleaning up happening in heaven. Like, you know, somebody's called and it happens in our house. You know, you call in and say, we want to come. We're like a frantic uh, cleaning party that's going on. Clean things up, keep things ready for before the people come. That's not what's happening in heaven. There's no construction happening in heaven. There's no real estate expansion. Jesus says, in my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. When he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, it means also that it's exclusive. That is, he has to go. In chapter 13, we, we, we see him tell Peter, saying that, you know, I'm going, but you can't come with me right now. I'll go prepare. And now here he says, I'm going to come back. It is a work that he does. He alone can do. But there is another important thing which I don't want us to forget because when you say I want to prepare a place, my natural destination is not heaven. My natural destination is hell. In 2 Peter chapter, two, chapter 3, verse 7, there are many verses, but let me read, read to you this. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says this, But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men and women and children, ungodly. That was a place reserved for us. But Jesus now says that there is a place I'm going to prepare. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 34, this is what it reads, Come, you who are blessed by the Father, inherit the kingdom, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So the question we ask is, how did Jesus then, this exclusive work, the work that only he can do, how could he, what did he do to prepare this place? And I want to tell you, my brothers and sisters, that this work is the work that he does on the cross, the exclusive work that no one else can do. And by doing that, by doing, going to the cross, dying on the cross, being, being buried and raised again, he prepares a way for us to go to the Father's house. You see, the, the song that we sang, I, I, the, the, uh, there is one part which says, in my father's house there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Because of the cross, no one can deny me access to the father's house. Jesus is the way. He prepares the way. I can now go by the way that's been prepared. I can say, his father's house is my father's house. You see, in earlier, there is a verse where Jesus had mentioned about, um, um, you know, um, if I can get that verse. <clears throat> Anyways, I'll get to that later. But then I want us to know that this is the essence of the gospel. We had no access to go to the father's house. But Jesus becomes the way. And it's through him that we now can go to the Father's house. He is, therefore, the first part, I want you to remember that he is my redeemer. Jesus is the redeemer, the only one who can take us to be with him. And that in continuing in verse 3, it says that where I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and take myself, take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also in John chapter 8, verse 35, that's the verse I wanted to uh, draw your attention to you because there it says, a slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. 
and here we're reading that I'll be with him forever in the father's house. I'm not, I'm not being brought in as a slave who would be sent away after some time, but I'm there as a son. The father in heaven is my father through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Then he says there, I go. No one forced him to go. He was troubled in his heart. We read that in First John, uh, sorry, John chapter 13. We read that, that he was troubled. But in Hebrew, we read, yet for the joy that was set before him. He goes. But not just that he goes, he's going to come again. That, 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 that's beautiful, isn't it? Because, you see, death used to be a dead end. But Jesus says, I'm going to go. I'm dying. I'm going to go but I'll come back again. I'll take you back. Now this death is no more a dead end. It's an entry to go to the Father's house. Death will be defeated because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'd like this. Some of you might like this. And this is, it says, so I wait not for a mansion, but for the man's son, our Lord Jesus Christ. What excites me in heaven is not the rooms, the mansions, the, you know, with a lake attached or, you know, I don't know what your dreams are about that place. It is Jesus Christ, the one who comes, one who went through the way of the cross, which only he could do. But he's just not gone. He's coming back to take me to be with him. And so he thrills my heart. But that brings us to, to the second question that Philip ask in, asks in, in verse 8. Philip said to him, I'm going to read from verses 8 to 14. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it, it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe in me that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe in account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I want us to see the first part was Jesus presenting himself as the Redeemer, the one who dies on the cross, makes a way. Here we see Jesus as the radiance of the Father. We read that in Hebrews very specifically in verse 1 and 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Is the radiance, the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus in his incarnation, he presents to us the Father as no one else can ever do. It was full, it was clear, and was final. He presents to us the Father. And again and again, John brings this us repeatedly about the Son who is the glory of the Father. 
You read through John, we'd be, we've been doing that. And, and this phrase, radiance of the Father, I mean, people have asked, like, what does that mean? You know, I'm, I'm the way to the Father. So is God the Father God, and Jesus is just a means to get to God? Is he just a way to get to God? Is he just the, you know, a son of God who is, who is less God uh, to God the Father? Does that what that, is that what that means? Why does he say radiance? And I think it's important for us to understand this that radiance is because you and I with our physical eyes are not able to see the spiritual. God makes, takes on himself the likeness of man and in incarnation we are able to see God through Jesus Christ. And you and I in our sinful eyes are not able to see the spiritual. If, the, if through our sinful eye we can see God, then God is not God, the holy God. And Jesus makes it possible through the incarnation. Six times Jesus repeats himself uh, to Philip that he is, he and the Father are one. There are two things here in this passage that we read I want, I want us to understand. The first thing is that my Father and I are one. We are one in nature and one in operation. Verse 7 and A, it says that the first part, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. If you see me, you see my father. That's what Jesus is saying. We are one in nature and one in operation. The way we work, what he works, I work. If you see my work, you will know what the father does. We are one. And yet we are distinct. We, we read that in verse 11. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. The, the, that's the essence of Trinity, isn't it? Right? One God, three persons. One God in nature, three in their persons. In distinction. And so the imagery that Jesus gives here is that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And the best way to understand this is if you take a pail of water, you take a bottle or a, or, a, or a glass and you dunk it or drop it into the pail. Now what's happening is there's water inside the glass and there's water outside the glass. And yet, the glass is distinct from the water or the pail. And yet, Jesus is the full radiance of the Father. I don't know, you can work that in your head when you go back, but if we understand Trinity, then we, you know, we grapple with the truth and the beauty of that. But we are thankful that in Trinity we have a relational God and that because of his relationship, when God says, I love you, I know that he's not talking about loving himself narcissistically, but because he loved the son through eternity, he shares his love with us. And we enjoy that beautifully. So if you want to, want to go to God, you go through Jesus. Here, if you want to see God, you go through Jesus. Jesus is the answer. To God. But in verse 22, we're getting down to verse 22 for the third question. Verse 22. 
Judas, I'm going to read till I'm going to read from 15 till 26. <clears throat> if you allow me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will, but you will see me. You know, I was thinking almost to, to title the sermon, Now You See Me, Now You Don't, but I thought that would be too much, but okay. Um, because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves you. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And Judas, not Iscariot, just want to be clear, Iscariot is gone. It's another uh, uh, apostle or disciple said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, I will keep my word, and my father will love him, and he will come, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper uh, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I have said to you. You see, first we saw Jesus as the Redeemer, then we saw Jesus as the Radiance, and now I want you to see Jesus as the one who is the Revelation. When Judas says, how do you manifest? Why is it that you manifest yourself only to us and not to the world? Because the disciples always wanted Jesus to manifest himself to, to the world. Even after resurrection, we read that in Acts chapter 1, is, is now the time when you're going to reveal yourself to the world? Oh, but Jesus has already said that I'm going to manifest myself to you, reveal myself to you. And it gives some conditions about how this is going to happen love and obedience, and then he talks about how he's going to do it is by residing in us. We will come and reside in you, he says. So it is love and obedience to the God you believed in that invites him home into your life. I'm going to explain that. But I want you to see the blessed trinity here before I do that. In verse 17, you see the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him and he dwells with you and I'll be in you. The world cannot receive or even perceive the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, we see the Father. I will not leave you orphans. You know when the rabbi dies, the disciples are called orphans. The rabbi is dead and gone, but with Jesus... He says, no, now you have a father. I will not leave you orphans. Verse 19, it says, yet a little while the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I will live in you that you will live also. Jesus says, I'm the way to God. Jesus says, I'm the, I'm the truth about God. And Jesus says, I'm the life 
that through me, because of me, you will live. But the question we have to ask as a result of this is that what should our response be? That is what Jesus is saying about love and obedience. That if Jesus is going to be the way, if he's going to be the truth, then his must be the life that you live. It, it must follow through. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You can't just say, I want you as my savior, but you can't be my king, my Lord. No, that doesn't work. It is not just your passport or fire insurance to heaven. Jesus is about the lordship in your life. And so what should our response be? First, I want to say, be extravagant in your love and in your obedience. Be extravagant. Again, verse 15, verse 21, verse 23, verse 24, it repeats this again and again about love and about obedience. You see, a question is asked, if grace is being offered to us and if I sin, I can just go to Jesus and say, please forgive me, then what prevents me from sinning again and again because I know grace is being provided to me? If, if that's the way transactionally you relate, relate with God, then you haven't loved him because your love for God must propel your response. You see, this idea of cost of discipleship, I think, is a misnomer. A cost of discipleship, I understand where it's coming from, but if you say there's a cost of discipleship, then you're saying, Jesus did this, this is how much I'm willing to pay as a cost. It just becomes a price equation. But if you say that my, my response to God is because of the love that he had, it is priceless for everything else as MasterCard. No, but no one got that. But I want you to understand that price is something you cannot put on the love that you have and your response that you have for God. That's the first one. Second, I want you to get off this A&W diet. Why be anxious? Why be worried? When Jesus says, you know, I, I, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'll go, I'll, I'll, I'll go, and I'll come. I'm preparing a place. I'm, I'm going to take you to be with me. And then he says, I'm, I'm giving you a peace, like, not like the peace that the world gives, the peace that I give you. In spite of your situation, your circumstance, you will have a peace which will take away the trouble, troubled heart. You don't have to be troubled. That's what Jesus is offering. I, I want to give you three practical steps because our hearts are so attuned to this to being anxious and being worried. First thing is I want you to preach to yourself the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are always preaching to ourselves. We are preaching the 
the lies of the world to ourselves, we are saying it's impossible to live the godly life, the holy life that Jesus has called us to or God has called us to. We preach for ourselves the things of, that, that are not of, of God's word. And I want you to replace that and preach to yourself the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's in the gospel of Jesus Christ which is God the power of salvation. Every other private conversations that you have will, will lead you away from this precious truth about Jesus Christ. But second thing I want you to do as a practical thing is invite people to interrupt your private conversation. Your holiness is a community project. That is why God has given us this church. That if we think that we can live holy on our own, if you think that we can, we got it, we, we don't got it. We need people to come alongside and say, hey, brother, hey, sister, what's wrong? How can I help you? How can I pray with you? Not because I'm better than you. It's because I need your help as, as you need mine. We come together as a community and, and we work things together for the joy and for the glory of God. How people interrupt your private conversation. Invite them. And thirdly, pray. 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 When Jesus was troubled, he prayed. We see him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He, he knew the consequence. He knew he had to go to the cross. He knew all of those, but what he does is he interrupts his day to pray. We must believe in a God who answers our prayer. So I want to leave you with Three questions. The first question is, if there's anybody here who does not know Jesus as his way or her way, the truth and the life, today is the day of salvation. I want you to understand there's no other way God has given except through Jesus Christ. He alone is the redeemer. He alone is the radiance of God. He alone is the one who can reveal himself to you, to your heart as no one else can. And we don't need anybody when we have Jesus. So I plead with you, my friends. Come, talk, know this one who loved you to death. Secondly, in what ways will you preach the gospel to yourself? You have to, you have to think this through because you have to break this habit of private conversation in your head. Ask for yourself, what are ways you will stop preaching anything else which is not the precious gospel, the truth, the saving power of Jesus Christ. And the third, what steps would you invite, uh, what steps will you take, sorry, to invite people to in interrupt your private conversation? We need help, and God's way of doing that is through his community. May God bless the hearing of his word. May you be blessed of the Lord because we are all in a battle which we will not lose. Uh, we will not lose the war, but each day we want to win the battle. And so I pray that the week ahead, that as you go out, that you will remember to interrupt your private conversation, invite
people to help you and to intercede for the community. Father God, we want to thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Father, for your son. And thank you that our sin has been removed in and through your son. And we pray, oh God, that each one of us, as we recognize that you have made a way through your son, may he alone be the one that we will go to as a community, as a people. We pray for everybody here, Lord, whose heads are bowed, both in their, uh, in, uh, as, as their head is bowed and also their heart stays receptive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. We pray, oh Father, for our little children. We don't want to lose any of them. We want them to grow in the might and the wonder and the joy of, of who Jesus Christ is, that the power of salvation would be theirs earlier on. Oh Father, we pray that as we go out into the world that we would recognize that, we, that the world will recognize us as your children heading home. We thank you that we have a home by your, by your side forever and forever. And to this we are eternally grateful. In Jesus Christ, our Lord's name we pray. Amen.